The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church slash Young Adults. Daniel Boshak, Boshak invited me to come and talk about worship. He said you guys have been talking about worship a couple of times over the last few months between he and John Nell. And he said they covered uh, kind of the fundamentals. Worship encompasses both the head and the external expressions of these inner realities. Do you guys remember that? Maybe a little. <laughs> For those of you that were awake, that's good. And then he invited me to come and talk about how I think of worship as I lead on Sunday morning, or, and then he said, anything else you want to talk about. <laughs> Let's see, what should we talk about? <laughs> I have a lot I could talk about. Maybe just a little personal stuff. I, I texted my wife to say, we took a family picture this summer. I was going to put it up here. I said, do you have a copy? I can't find it on my computer. Can you send it to me? I haven't heard from it yet. But it might pop up here as a text message, and then I'll show you. Um, I just turned 60 years old this summer, and I have four children, and three of them are married. I have two grandchildren, and this is now public information. I have two additional grandchildren on the way. My two daughters are each expecting, one in May and one in June, so we'll have We'll double the number of grandkids that we have, um, which is really exciting in this season of life to have not just kids who get married, but kids who are now parents. That's exciting. I have one son who's 18 years old. He still lives at home. He attends the Notre Ramsey Community College. Let's see, what else should you know about that? I was a flight attendant for 21 years for Northwest Airlines, which doesn't exist anymore. Northwest and Delta merged in 2008 or somewhere around there after I had left the company. But one of the benefits that I took from my days at Northwest was lifetime passes, which is an amazing gift, which means I can fly on any Delta flight as though I was a retiree of Delta, which means I can go from here to Johannesburg, South Africa, which I did 40 years ago, or if there's room. It's amazing. But tomorrow night, I'm going to go get an airplane to go see two of my grandkids out in Spokane, Washington. Basically going to do it on a day off. And then I'll fly home on Friday morning. It's an amazing gift. So I did that for 21 years. And um, while I was doing that, my wife and I started attending this downtown Minneapolis church called Bethlehem Baptist Church. We had extended family who were at the church at the time. And they kept talking about this guy, John Piper. And I was a student at Bethlehem way back in the dark ages when John Piper was a um, professor there. And so I knew who he was. In fact, my wife... Actually, one summer her job was on a typewriter. Yes, those existed once. She typed out a book that he wrote, and he spoke into this little tape recorder, and then she had to put these headphones in and literally sit there for a summer and type out the book. Yeah, I know, I go, that'd be crazy. But So we knew who John Piper was, but these this extended family member said, oh, he's great, you gotta come here. And we're like, yeah, we were involved in another church out in the western suburbs, a little city called Monticello, along the Mississippi River. And uh, I was active in worship leading there, and my wife was active in teaching. I was an elder in that church at the time. But we visited one Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, 1992, maybe before you guys were born. Um, and Pastor John opened Romans chapter 6, and he preached a sermon called Christ, and those in him will never die. And it was as though the Lord took an arrow in that sermon and shot it up into the balcony where he was sitting and pierced my heart and pierced my wife's heart. And to make a long story short, it took us about a year and three months to recognize we think God's calling us to be a part of a downtown church 
living 40 miles away with two young children at the time. And so in faith, we stepped out and we, we left that church and started attending Bethlehem. Fast forward another decade, early 2000s, I was serving as an elder. I'd had a couple of interim worship meeting opportunities at Bethlehem in the mid to late 90s for about a year each as we were still one church on one side. Early 2000s and Bethlehem's growing like crazy. And uh, Pastor Kenny Stokes, who's still here, he went away on a month-long study leave and came back to say, I think Bethlehem should experiment with a multi-campus church because we had three services downtown, we had no parking, we, we were filling up the sanctuary downtown, and so in April of, night of 2002, the elders called me and said, we're gonna start a second campus of Bethlehem. It's gonna be at Northwestern College in Maranatha Hall, now University of Northwestern St. Paul, and we'd like you to go as the worship guy, but don't quit your day job, because we don't know if this multi-campus thing is gonna work. And I'm on the phone and I'm going, okay. <laughs> I knew I loved this church. I knew I was serving as an elder of the church at the time. I knew the realities of this is this church growth thing is it's more than we can handle. We gotta come up with something. So October, fast forward October of 2002, and on the 13th of October, I showed up with a worship team on a Sunday morning. I flew in Saturday night. I'd been on a trip and I got home, flew in Saturday night. Sunday morning I show up at 6.30. We unpack all the stuff. We set up and the Lord was there. And God met us in worship that first day and continued to meet us in worship. In fact, people were getting saved at Northwestern as John Piper was preaching between the two campuses, downtown and at Northwestern. And so from that very first Sunday on, as a part-time bivocational worship dude, I got to see firsthand God at work. And it was amazing as families who lived in these suburbs invited their neighbors, as people came, as people began to encounter the Lord in worship and in the word. And I said, I'm here to serve in whatever way I can. And I said, I'll give my life to advancing this mission for spreading passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of these people who are gathering every week at Northwestern. And within a year, we said, we gotta find a place to land permanently because God's up to really good things here. And so we looked in these suburbs and I remember in January of 04, it was really cold. And I was on my way to a, to a pastoral, retreat, uh, pastoral team retreat up north somewhere. I don't even remember where we were. Maybe up at, uh, yeah, I don't remember where we were. But I stopped here because this building was for sale. And I remember looking in these doors, you know, and uh, it was dark just like this, looking through the windows and, and saying, Lord, is this a place? Is this a place? I looked at the freeway right out here and the access that we had, and I said, maybe this is it. I mean, I was bitterly cold. I got back in my car, I drove, I reported to the staff. I said, I stopped by this building. I think I might work for us. And uh, within three months, April, we had signed a purchase agreement and received city approval to turn this office building into a church building. And uh, so I had a front row seat to see every step of the way. God form a people called the North Campus and, and uh, land us geographically in this location and begin to see as we open the doors, God bring people through the doors who are hungry for him. And as we worship together, as we pray together, as we set, put ourselves under the word of God, as we study the word in classes, 
God began to meet us and form us into a people that we become now all these years later called Bethlehem's Fourth Campus. So I've served in just about every role in this church, in this campus, as there is. Um, I don't even know all the titles I have, but I, I oversaw outreach. I oversaw the staff team here. I served for a number of years as a chairman of the Elder Council. I served as lead pastor for a number of years before Pastor Stephen Lee came. So I've worn a lot of hats, and I'm still here because I love this calling on my life, and I love this church, and this church incorporates all of you. So I'm very thankful for all of you. Please know that you're prayed for regularly because I see the grace of God flowing, and I, all I do, what do I render for the, to the Lord for all of these benefits to us after 19 years? I lift up the cup of salvation. I call upon the name of the Lord. I say, more grace, Lord, more grace. You have bestowed grace on us for year after year, so continue that. And do it for your generation. Because my legacy, <laughs> as, I, as I, you know, at 68, you begin to consider that. I went to a funeral today for, for my college roommate's dad, who died at 95. So I was at Bethel. I did welcoming at Bethel 42 years ago this fall. And the Lord put us together for three years. He was the best man at my wedding. He was the best man at his wedding. But he moved off to Georgia. I haven't seen him for decades. And this old man comes around the corner. Well, it's my college roommate. And I look in the mirror and I go, duh. Of course he's an old man. But to go to a funeral like that and say, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? is really good for a guy at my stage of life. And the legacy that I want to leave is that this place, that our labors would not have been vain, that this place would continue to be a gospel outpost for maybe 50, maybe 75, maybe 100 more years, so that neighbors like the neighbors that I have, I live here in Mansu, on one side and on the other, would come to know Christ because there are people who worship here, people who live in this community, people who are involved in, in, in real life stuff, life and death and birth and, and those kinds of things, hardship. So that's a little background on who I am. I probably used up all 20 Seven of my minutes, didn't I? <laughs> know that you're loved. Know that you're grateful. Know that I'm thankful for you. Um, <clears throat> simply put, you know, I, they said, well, would you talk about worship? Would you talk about what you think about when you're planning for Sunday morning? And uh, the, the simplest way for me to summarize what I think worship is, it's revelation and response. It's as simple as that, and it's as profound as that. God reveals, and we respond to that revelation. So, just like we read out of Psalm 95, I got a whole list of texts here I was going to read. And tell me what the, where the revelation is and where the response is. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, is it verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. Why should we do that? Verse 4 is the answer. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your works. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. So why do we sing? God has revealed. He has done great works. And we respond with worship, with the things that we've just been involved in. That's Psalm 92. Psalm 95. We read it just a minute ago. I don't know who planned that. The transition was great. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Why? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all the gods. Or Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Do you hear a theme there? Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. Why? For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Psalm, I could keep reading uh, that little section, but we jump ahead. But Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. We are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We give thanks to him. We bless his name. Why? The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. So what has God revealed to us? He's revealed his goodness. He's revealed his steadfast love. He's revealed his greatness to us. And we respond in these biblical ways. So if you ask, what's worship? Revelation and response. Revelation. God reveals his greatness, his glory, and we respond. That's foundation. I came up a couple of years ago. I, I did the exercise of, so what's your definition of worship? And I came up with this. I believe worship is rightly responding to God's self-revelation with glad-hearted dependence and delight. So, rightly responding. There are probably wrong ways to respond to God. I'm mad at you, God. How dare you, God? I wouldn't call that worship. Worship is rightly responding according to his law. And it is a response to God's self-revelation. How has God revealed himself? Fall is a great time to see Psalm, what is it, 19, right? The heavens are telling the glory of God. The trees are telling the glory of God. And this firmament displays his handiwork. Day unto day, they pour forth speech. So they're talking to us. Psalm 19 tells us about something about God about his greatness, about his glory. So creation reveals God's glory and is a revelation of his amazing, amazing creative ability. Um, the Word of God, this beautiful book, <laughs> this life-transforming book, God reveals something of his character and who he is and, and of his justice and of his mercy and of his steadfast love and of his wrath towards sin and towards sinners. And it should cause us to respond. And God reveals himself, self-revelation, preeminently in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, you go there, you see, in former times, the letter writer says, he begins the, the letter this way, God spoke to us by the prophets. And he says, but in these more recent times, the latter times, God has spoken to by his son, who is, and then he goes on to list some of the characteristics of Jesus Christ, this beautiful revelation of God himself. So he speaks to us through creation, he speaks to us through the word, he speaks to us <laughs> most gloriously through Jesus Christ. And we have an invitation then to respond to that revelation. 
of who he is. And I think the attitude of the heart, we can talk about with John and with Daniel, the attitude of the heart is a priority. We can say things that are true. And Jesus can condemn us. This people honors me with their lips. We said of the Pharisees, but their hearts are far from me. What does he call it? He says, in vain they worship me. In vain. So if you want to practice vain worship, do it with your lips only and not with your heart. So it's got to be a heart response. And I think gladness in God, gladness in who Jesus is, and dependence is a priority. It's got to be. We just have to recognize God is <laughs> independent. He doesn't need us. We are dependent creatures. And so it's glad-hearted dependence accompanied by deep and growing delight in who he is and what he's done. So you can take it or leave it. That's just my little effort at defining worship. So I'm going to take this. Yeah, go ahead. Reminds you of a Pastor Sam sermon last week. Did you yeah, know the same thing? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what what particular from Sam sermon? Um, he had his definition of what's Thanksgiving, right? Exactly. I think if you put next to you, it would be right Yeah, now. very similar. Yeah. Because thankful hearts, what did you say? Are happy hearts? Mm -hmm. And uh, thankful hearts, it's a, it's a beautiful way to do evangelism because people see, wait a minute, they're grateful for this particular hardship. How can they be thankful for what they're going through, as you said? And it really is, a, it's an apologetic for our trust, our confidence in the Lord. So, so um, maybe I'll just take a few minutes and talk through, and I'm going to send a little piece of paper over to you um, just as a way of encouraging you to consider these things. For, since 1994, Bethlehem has had a mission, spreading a passion, that's our mission, and under that mission, when it comes to things like worship, we have certain values that shape how we do what we do. So we've got three campuses, so Nick Rowan is the worship pastor down there, downtown, Rene Gonzalez and Chuck Stedham share the leadership of worship downtown and your campus. I've been doing this for 19 years. So somebody might ask, so how do you, how do you remain contiguous? Um, and it's not a form, and it's not that we sing the same songs every Sunday that the other campuses are singing. Rather, it's shared values that flow out of our understanding of who God is, understanding of what worship is. So I'm just going to walk through these, a few of these quickly. And then I'd love questions, comments, pushback, feedback. So these are some of our values related to corporate worship. If you were to ask me, so what do you think about redefining worship? These are some of the things that are in my mind. There's sort of the, the backdrop, the white noise of my planning and thinking and praying and scripture study. They're, they're, they're just there, they're present. God-centeredness is the first one. We place a high priority on the vertical focus of our corporate worship services. The ultimate aim is to experience God in such a way that he is glorified in our affections. Glad-hearted dependence on God with delight. So we go Godward. That was a phrase we used to use, a little word, a catch word that was that We go Godward in our service. We direct our hearts, we direct our minds towards God. We try to keep that central. Second, we expect the powerful presence of God. Not only direct, direct ourselves to Him, but we say, we want you to come, Lord. We want you to come in the power of the Spirit. We want the Spirit of God to reveal Christ 
The Spirit of God, as it's been often said, is like the footlights shining upon the person, the beautiful person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, Spirit of God, come and make Christ known. And we want to experience him. We don't just direct ourselves towards him. We earnestly seek his drawing near, according to the promise of James 4.8. Anybody knows, know what that is, James 4.8? Sword drill. No, I won't <laughs> put you on the spot. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So when we set our hearts towards drawing near to him, he's promised, hey, I'm going to draw near to you. The God of the universe. When we direct our hearts to him, he says, I'll be there. I'm coming towards you. I'm running towards you. Like prodigal sinners like me, when I turn and I face home and I start walking home, what happens? The father, he takes his robe and he pulls it up and he starts running towards us. That's what God has promised. I'm a prodigal, and when I direct my heart towards him and seek him, seek to draw near to him, we find him running to meet with us. We believe that in worship, God draws near to us in power, makes himself known and felt for our good and for the salvation of unbelievers in our midst. We opened this building in the summer of 2005. Within the first couple of weeks, I noticed a couple sitting right down here as I'm standing on the platform. They were a little rough at the edges. I'll just say it that way. Uh, you could tell they'd had a hard life. And uh, after about the third Sunday, I went over and introduced myself. And they just looked at me and they said, Dan, we don't know what it is, but every time we come through these doors, it's like there's weight, there's, a, there's power here, and we can't get enough of it. <laughs> like, you just blew the categories out of what I was thinking. I'm worried about tuning my guitar and, you know, will the video work so a piper's not here? Will people be able to hear? And these people are encountering God in our services. And I don't say that because it's what I was doing, it's because the Lord himself, when we direct our hearts to him, he comes and meets with us. And these people were transformed as a result of the encounter with God when we gathered. So we don't minimize God's drawing near to us. In fact, we seek it. We try to be Bible-based and Bible-saturated. Makes me weepy to think about that combo. I don't know where they ended up, um, but it makes me weepy. So we try to... <laughs> The way I like to say it is we try to make our worship coherent with this book. So part of my responsibility is to know the scriptures and study the scriptures. And part of my responsibility then is to be humble enough that if we're singing songs that are maybe not in line with the scriptures, to acknowledge that and to pull some of those songs back. I've done that a few times through the years. And correspondingly, if, I, if people challenge some of the songs we say, why am I singing that song? Um, I say, well, I've opened the Bible, and I'd love to open the Bible with you, and I'll, I'll take a look at what that song is based on. And you tell me, does it not cohere with this book? Don't we see the truth of Scripture in these songs? And, and, and doesn't it make sense for us to be singing expressions that are biblically coherent? Um, so we seek to weave. The content of God's word should be woven through all we do in scripture. Or rather in worship, and it will be the ground of our appeal to authority. So there's, there's, there's growing concern, and some of you undoubtedly shared, about the global nature of, of what we call worship because of its commercialization. I just I contributed to a blog post that a friend of mine runs out of Great Britain. And it had to do with the 
Chris Tomlin Hillsong Tour. They're saying you can buy VIP access and you can hang out with these worship leaders when they come to Minneapolis or wherever they are. So they're, they're creating sort of this tiered Christianity. So my friend was criticizing that, and uh, I'm not unsympathetic to that. But I had to also point out, because the critique was, you know, they're living in rarefied air, and, and they don't care about common people, they're just in it for the money. And my response to that was, I have met Chris Tomlin. He invited worship leaders in the Twin Cities to a show where he and his band put on an acoustic set probably about a decade ago. He took time after the show to meet every single worship leader. It, you know, we could have taken a picture with him if we wanted, but he just wanted to encourage worship pastors in their work. And I go, so this guy that they're, they're shooting at took the time 10 years ago, 12 years ago, to invite me and my wife to a free show where he just took the time to encourage me as a worship pastor and probably a hundred of others of us in a small room. And I thought, that's not the guy. They're aiming at a different guy than the guy that I met that day. Or the gal that has written a bunch of the songs. In fact, um, I don't know if she wrote Oceans or not. Um, Brooke, she used to be Brooke Frazier. She got married. She is one of the songwriters for Hillsong. And I went to the Worship Together conference a couple of years ago, probably about 1,800 of us down in Nashville at a church. And she walked out, <laughs> and she said, first words out of her mouth, I love this book. Do you love this book? And she told the testimony of her being discipled by a woman when she was in high school. An old woman, probably like my age, who would invite her for tea after school every day, and they would open the scriptures, and they would read the scriptures. And she said, I'm where I am now because that woman invested in me in a discipleship relationship and because she taught me how to read the scriptures. And it's out of that engagement with the scriptures that I write the songs that I write. And she says, I can't believe that the world is singing them. She said, I was just backstage with my two kids. In fact, one of them peed on my shoe two minutes ago. So I got pee on my, you know, very real, very honest, very straightforward people. And, and behind them, or maybe in front of them, is this global effort now to monetize worship. And so, in some senses, we have to be, what did Jesus say, wise as serpents and innocent as doves in terms of how do we choose the repertoire that we sing? How much affiliation are we comfortable with with some of the fringier worship movements out there? What if what they're writing coheres with what's in this book? How much endorsement do we make? Are we putting money in their pockets to advance their fringy at best, maybe heretical theology. These are questions I deal with all the time. And it's an imperfect art. So I, I aim to be as biblical in our singing as we can, and I recognize we're going to miss the boat sometimes, and I'm happy to pull things back with concern, especially biblical concern. A couple more here. How am I doing with time list? Come on, be honest. Dan, you got two minutes. I can talk about all these things all night, so... Uh, here, here's one, <coughs> earnest and intense, we try to avoid being cut, flippant, superficial, or frivolous, aim to set an example of reverence and passion, wonder, broken heart, and joy. I had the privilege of going on sabbatical this summer, and my wife and I, along with our 18-year-old son, we attended another local church, I won't say which one, and there's a, there's a conviviality, there's a, there's a sort of 
one of the ways to get arms around you is to be just like you and to talk, you know, in really straightforward ways. And so, so their welcomes are very informal and, and they use informal language. And, and I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. And we've sort of said at Bethlehem, mm, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna encourage people to come in with an expectancy and eagerness to meet with God. And so we want to make sure that we think through every act of worship that we're going to do and not just sort of be um, folksy. I think that's a word that I would use. So this is, this, is, um, this is a critique that we've received. We're too formal. Can you guys just relax a little? But it's also, for some, has been salvific because they realize, whoa, wait a minute, these folks, they take what they're doing seriously here. Maybe I should take it a little more seriously. And when I say that, I say we corporately, not just, um, I'm pretty, pretty laid back. Uh, authentic communication, similarly, uh, radically personal and climate there. Manifestation of God and common good, we expect and hope and pray, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7, that our focus on the manifesting of God is good for people, that the spirit of love for each other is not incompatible with, but necessary to authentic worship. What do we mean by that? Here's what I mean when I read that. I think at 60 years old, what has kept me in the faith more than anything else was a commitment that I made along with my wife 40, almost 40 years ago when we got married, that we will be in worship together as a family every week, putting ourselves under the word of God. Now for a pastor, you probably would think, well, it must be his daily devotional, and it must be his four hours every morning in the Word and prayer, or it must be the way in which he's doing all of this study of external texts to know what he knows and to do what he does. It's just, for me, a commitment to say, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord with God's people, worshiping with him, putting myself under the Word of God, and making that a priority. And what happens? God transforms us. <laughs> He's been faithful to do that in my own life. 1991, I had a pastor who said, Dan, you should become a pastor. And I kind of went, that'd be cool. I could be a pastor. And I know that if I would have said yes to God's call, to his call, that pastor's call, I probably would have been done in six months. It would have been shipwrecked. God needed to do 10 years more work in my life for me before he would call me part-time in the leader pastor. So, so I believe God loves to meet his people. I believe he does his transforming work when we gather. And it's through worship, it's through the word. So these are some of the things I think about. This one is a funny one to me. Undistracting excellence, because nobody really knows what that means. <laughs> I think what it means is we're going to try, just like you guys did tonight. These guys, what they do here is not easy to do. I hope you know that. Where they try to synthesize four instruments with arrangements and rhythms and time signatures and keys. Which key are we going to sing that? Is it going to be too high? Is it going to be too low? These are, these are not easy things to do. So, so you should appreciate your worship leaders here because they did an amazing job. My heart was just stirred to worship as these guys led. But... It's also very easy to get into the, we are going to pursue excellence for excellence sake. We're going to pay every person.
person who serves on the platform because then we know that we can keep top-notch quality and we will we'll succeed as a church that way. So there's a way to think about worship as sort of, uh, you know, I'll show up Sunday morning, I'll pull out a few songs and I'll tune my guitar maybe. I'll try to get my capo in the right spot. You know, if I don't, it's not a big deal. That's one side of the horse you can fall off. The other side is, man, we're going to be so good, everybody in the world is going to want to be just like us. And we're not going to fall off the horse on either side. We're just going to aim to say, the teams that serve alongside me are real people. They have gifts. I want them to utilize their gifts for the edification and encouragement of this body for the glory of God. And we will do it to the best of our ability. And if it's not good enough for your ear, we're going to keep trying. <laughs> That's my way of uh, unpacking and distracting excellence. Uh, use this one as the last one. So this is Hyperion language, Pastor John, when he wrote some of these values, he used lofty expressions like this. Um, mingling of historic and contemporary. I would say now historic or modern expressions of worship. No church or service can be all things to all people. As much as we would like it. We heard tonight how many different languages? Nine different languages. We can't sing every Sunday in nine different languages. Even if we have people who speak those languages in our congregation. So we can't be all things to all people. Uh, we do not value stylistic narrowness. We believe that their affections are to God, that different tunes, different texts, different genres may awaken better than others. And so who has the responsibility to figure out what those are? Yeah, we're looking at Imperfect science. We'll strive to be who we are without exalting our own taste. We will see God's guidance in each worship. I think was another slide. Service. See? Service? <laughs> In each worship, service. Um, so, what does this mean? It means we value the expressions that go back decades, centuries, even millennia. Is a millennia a thousand years? Is that the definition of millennia? No. Wednesday night we sang the words that were written in the 7th century. So somewhere in the 600s, somebody was wandering around Great Britain and they wrote down words of worship. Guess what? We sang them on Wednesday night. And you know them. They were translated to English and put into verse form in 1905, so just over 100 years ago. And it goes like this. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. And it goes on and on. It's full of Christian hedonism. That dude or that chick, whoever she was back in the 600s, she or he were Christian hedonists. They recognized Jesus was the treasure, was the pearl of great price, and wanted to worship him, and so wrote it down. So as a pastor, I say we value that. And we value, let's see, what's, what have we sung and written in 2021? Uh, Matt Redman put out a praise song we did at the Half Night Prayer for missionaries. I can't remember the name from this year. So, you know, the Lord commands us to sing new songs to the Lord. He also commands us to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So this past Sunday, we sang one of my favorite songs. 
Your love is everlasting. It's an everlasting love. Comes straight out of the Psalms. I mean, it's from beginning to end. So we check that box. We sing that song in some morning. Now, what would David think of the way we did it? You know, <laughs> he probably he probably plays hard for us. <laughs> Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Anybody know what a spiritual song is? I don't know what a spiritual song is. The Bible isn't clear. The New Testament isn't clear what a spiritual song is. So we have to use our discernment. Lord, show us what are the spiritual songs we should be singing. And uh, so many of the new songwriters are writing in hymn form. Why? Because they want you to sing. And hymns mean it's usually versified. So there might be some rhythm, eight beats per um, line. There might be some rhyme to help us remember it. There might be a refrain or a chorus that allows our hearts to respond to what we were just singing about. Here's revelation in the verse, and then there's response in the chorus, and then the next verse, and they often build on each other, or they run a timeline. One of my most recent ones, in fact, we're going to sing it at the 150th, is King of Kings that uh, came out of Hillsong a year or two ago. Um, you'll recognize it when we do it. But it, it, it recounts the history of salvation. And I think, what great way for us to allow what God has done to be like a movie before our eyes. Um, so it starts with creation. It works through sin and the fall. It works to, through the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, through the incarnation. It takes us to the cross and crucifixion, takes us to the resurrection, takes us to the ascension, and it holds out hope for glorification in one hymn, one song. And that was written three years ago, maybe? So a lot of people are writing those songs, and I love it, because the older I get, the harder it is for me to remember words. And if I can sing a song that has a refrain that at least I can sing without looking, that's a good thing for me. And I want people... So my mother-in-law passed away unexpectedly this summer, first week of August. And uh, we got the call in the morning. She was in the hospital. My father-in-law, they live here in Richfield. Um, so my wife got in the car. She calls and says, you better come down here. So I came down and walked in. And she was already brain dead at about 9 o'clock in the morning. And she was gone by 5. Well, that was one of the things that we did. I read some stuff to pray, but we sang in that hospital room. Why do we sing? Because we wanted the Lord to, to encourage our hearts in that way. And sometimes we can read, sometimes we can pray, but when we sing, we unite our voices and we sing, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ's song. When we sang that together, through tears, we were just declaring, yes. This is our confident hope. Whether she lives or dies, this is still our hope. And the Lord took her home at 5 o'clock that afternoon. So I want to be in that place when I can't think and I'm drooling and if somebody starts singing, I want to be able to sing with them the truth of God's word so that my heart in that moment, that faith can rise up and I can embrace God's call. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way. 
without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.church slash young adults.